0: Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here with all of you. And uh, Josh, I'm going to miss you, man. I just feel like I hardly met you, you know? Um, no, but actually, you know, yeah, I, I have the privilege of going around to all different churches and seeing all different sort of uh, congregations and preachers and worship leaders. And, uh, you know, just even in those three songs, I can just tell the anointing and gifting uh, on you. So I just pray God's best for you. So uh, it's really my pleasure to meet you tonight. Um, I live in New Jersey so I'm, I'm not from around here um, but I'm a Mets fan so I feel like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So okay, um, also you can tell I'm from the New York area because I wore only grey um, but that also matches sort of a New England spring day so okay. Uh, But really, it's my pleasure to be here with all of you. And so I want to start out and just read today's scripture, which comes from the Old Testament passage of Judges chapter 6, verses 7 through 16. So I don't know what your custom is, but I'm going to read it for you here. Um, You can look in your phone or in your Bibles, or you can just close your eyes and listen uh, to the Word of God. This is a story uh, about Gideon uh, from Judges chapter 6 verses 7 through 16. It says when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, "This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God, do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizzarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior." And save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Amen. Today I want to talk about a man named Gideon that we find in Judges chapter six. Gideon was living in a time of oppression. He was living in a time of injustice and violence. The Midianites were swarming into the area where the Jews were living, and they, they took their crop, they took their food, they took their homes, they took their dignity. The Midianites came in and swept in like a swarm. And kicked the Israelites out of their homes. And it got so bad that the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. They said, Lord, come and help us. And then the Lord appears to Gideon. And he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Which, if you know the scriptures, should be funny to you or to me. If you know who Gideon is... This is the moment where the laugh track comes in. This is the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Ha 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 ha. Why? Because the Lord is saying this to Gideon. Gideon is the guy on the show that that, you know is always the, the butt of the joke. Gideon is the one that is always the comic relief. He's the one, you know, who's anything but mighty and anything but a warrior. Gideon says of himself, my clan is the weakest, and I'm the least in my family. I'm the least of the least, God. How can I be this mighty warrior? Gideon, in other words, is the runt. He's the guy who still is, you know, sitting at the kiddie table at Thanksgiving, you know, uh, because there's none, you know, we're short one seat. Gideon just sit at the kiddie table. You know, he's the guy who gets picked last in gym class. He's the, he's the guy when you're all hanging out with your friends. You know, somebody's like, hey, did anybody text Gideon? No, nobody texted him? Okay, you know, and then you don't text them, right? So, you know, but so Gideon is the runt. He's, the, he's anything but a mighty warrior, but that's what God calls him. So God looks at Gideon and he says, I'm with you. But Gideon gets angry and he's like, you're with us. If you were with us, I mean, look around. Why, is, why are any of these things happening to us? Where is the God of our ancestors that said he did all these mighty and wonderful things? You can, you can hear the, the sarcasm dripping from his words. If you were with us, look around. Where have you been? His conclusion is that if oppression exists, God must be far away. Isn't it interesting to think that as soon as things don't go his way, he starts questioning God's presence. As soon as a job is lost or a test has failed or a relationship is broken, we say, if God were with me, none of this would have happened. But Gideon wants God to deal with this issue of injustice. He says, God, there is injustice around us and we want you to be able to deal with this. Now, the Bible doesn't capture Gideon's inner monologue, but if it did, it might sound a little bit something like this. Well, God, it's, it's nice that you finally showed up. Now, what are you gonna do about this violence and injustice? God, look around. You see the oppression The Midianites are are driving us from our lands. They're taking our food. God, we have no dignity left. What are you going to do about it? This is probably what Gideon is thinking in his mind. Gideon's complaint to God is, what are you going to do about this? Don't you care? I live in a world with injustice, and my reaction is I turn to God, and I say, well, God, you, do you see this? What, I, how can you let this happen? Don't you care? But God's answer is a little bit surprising, isn't it? God says, am I not sending you? You see, Gideon says, God, what are you going to do about it? God, don't you see all this oppression? And God says, I'm sending you. See, the principle here is that God is saying, I do know about it, I do care about it, and I will do something about it, I send you. So the principle here is that when there is a problem of injustice or violence or oppression, God does care, and he does do something about it, God sends us. God sends his people into the heart of injustice and oppression. And so it's not enough for us as godly people to simply say, well, God, you really should intervene here. When we feel that impulse to usher God into a situation, you may find that God is actually ushering us to step into that situation. So you probably heard the phrase, when you see something Say something. The principle in Judges 6 is when you see something, do something. When you see injustice, do something about the injustice. Don't just pray to God and say, God, you really should do something about that. Don't talk to Pastor Tim and say, we really need to form a committee. Do something about it. When the injustice is bad enough for us to say Something must be done. That is precisely the moment that God may be calling you to do something about it. God sends us. So now I want to transition from talking about a man named Gideon and talk to you about a boy named Gideon. This Gideon is different than the one that we've been reading about. This Gideon lives in Ghana. And he faces injustice from his oppressor's every day as well. He's been robbed of his freedom and his family and his dignity. This boy Gideon is a victim of modern day slavery. Now modern day slavery is when you have people in power next to people in poverty that can create a differentiation in power that creates an atmosphere where enslavement can occur. It's using lies or violence or force to force someone to work for little or to no pay. And even though it is illegal in every country, it is present in every country. It is a global problem that is happening right now. Current estimates are that there are 40 million enslaved people throughout the world today. 40 million enslaved people right now. So let me help you understand the scale of what 40 million people looks like. 40 million people is approximately the same amount of people that live in the state of New Jersey, and New York, and Connecticut, and Rhode Island, and Massachusetts, and Vermont, and New Hampshire, and Maine. Now, you would think that if the population of these eight states were made up of only enslaved people, you would certainly think that the world would know about it, that the world would be outraged by it, and that the world would do something about it, and yet somehow 40 million people have slipped under the radar, and the world for the most part does not know about it is not outraged by it and is not doing enough about it. Now these 40 million people are spread throughout the world and so they are boys on a boat, they are girls in brothels, they are families in factories and they're young children exploited in front of computers in their own homes. I work for an organization called International Justice Mission and we work on the front lines in nearly 20 cities working to put an end to slavery and to sex trafficking. And that is where we met Gideon. Gideon works every single day here on this lake in Ghana called Lake Volta. Lake Volta is the largest man-made lake in the world. And he spends 12 to 16 hours a day every day on this lake because he was trafficked by a man who came into his village and told his mother a lie and took him and his brother from his home. But Gideon is only one of an estimated 10,000 children on Lake Volta, many of them five or six years old. Young boys must dive into the water to untangle the nets from the forest of the trees submerged in the lake. Remember, Lake Volta is a man-made lake. And so when when you flood a forest with water, the trees don't just go away. The trees just live underwater. And so all of the tree limbs and the branches and the roots all serve to tangle these nets as these little boys are fishing. And so these young boys must dive into the lake and with their little fingers must untangle the nets from all the nooks and crannies of this submerged forest. The conditions on the lake are treacherous for these young boys. They are sick and diseased because of parasites. They are beaten by their masters. And in fact, many of them don't even know how to swim and every day are at risk of drowning. We see boys with everything from malaria to broken arms. Before IJM opened up our field office in Ghana, we sent undercover investigators to get a baseline prevalence understanding of the extent of slavery on the lake. So we sent our investigators to do research and we interviewed over a thousand children and what we found was shocking. We found that approximately 60% of the children that we interviewed were there against their will. When you recognize that 20,000 children are on this lake conservative estimates are that 10,000 of these boys are there because they are enslaved. One of the most harrowing encounters in this undercover investigation was when our investigators first met Gideon.
1: When we got here, we found it to be one of the most horrific things that we had seen in, in the work that we do. Um, when we got here, we interviewed you know, over 1,000 kids and, then, and saw them in the most horrible condition on these boats, uh, working there anywhere from 10 to 18 hours a day, physically abused in the most awful ways, uh, not fed, the majority of them sick. And we knew that this was something that I had to impact since few, if any, people were actually doing so. All of those kids up to that point um, were very. Very exhausted. They were very reluctant to speak to us for fear of their owners, um, except for Gideon. And as we pulled up next to him, he immediately reached out to me and, and begged me to take him out of the situation, saying that his, the man that, that was his owner was, as he called him, wicked and had beaten him every day since he had been with the man um, for 11 years. And um, he described being hungry and just wanting more than anything to get off the boat. And Something about Gideon just, um, uh, just connected would be more than to meet any other children, such that uh, having to leave him that day and continue our assessment um, pretty much haunted me for the, the next year and a half.
0: Gideon represents 40 million people. His life is similar to millions and millions of children around the world, whether they're in India or Cambodia or the Philippines or the Dominican Republic, throughout the world, there are children whose life and existence every single day is just like Gideon's. Now let's pause for the Gideon in Ghana and let's go back to the story in Judges because, again, as Gideon is now being sent by God, Gideon's not done questioning God. God says, am I not sending you? And Gideon says, well, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel, right? Like, I, I mean, I'm the runt. I, I just can't do it. You have the wrong person. Gideon knows the problem. He knows who to turn to the answer for, right? He turns to God. He turns to the right person. But when he hears the answer, he's like, no, 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 no. You have the wrong person. First of all, I'm not on staff, right? You know, no, that's what staff members do of the church, right? Not, not, not congregation members. That's why I give my offering. No, 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 you have the wrong person. No, I have too many things. I have young children. And I, you know, I mean, soccer practice and you know, homework and all this stuff. No, 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 I got, I got too many. Oh, you know, this is not the season of my life right now, God. This is, you certainly have the wrong person. Right? We hear these refrains, in our inner monologue about all these different things, you know, this, the, um, the ministry for this, the special needs, there, there may be not a more fulfilling ministry for the volunteer in this church than to sign up for that ministry. But I would bet, I would venture, that there were some inner monologues going on when there was that slide went up. Well, that's just not my gifts or... You know, that's something that, um, you know, this person should sign up for, right? We, we come up with reasons why that's not actually, why we, we sort of disqualify ourselves. God, you certainly are sending the wrong person. I'm not right for the, for the job. I just can't do it. Gideon says, I'm not good enough, God. But God's response again in verse 16 says, I will be with you. I will be with you. In some ways, God is saying the same God that brought you up out of Egypt, the same God that rescued you from slavery, the same God that delivered you from the Egyptians, that God will be with you. So how can in one hand you say that you are the God of the deliverer, you are the redeemer, you are the one who has freed us, and in the same way say, God, I can't do it unless we understand that God is going with us. In other other words, God doesn't say, "Ah, I'll do it. And he doesn't say, well, you better do it. What he says is, I will be with you as you do it, as we do it together. In other words, God sends us into the heart of oppression, but he promises to stay with us as we go. So the challenge for us is to step into the heart of oppression, but the promise and comfort is that he stays with us as we do it. In fact, throughout Scripture, whenever God asks his people to do a really hard thing that is scary or seemingly impossible, and his people are afraid, and right where Gideon is in Judges, whenever God's, God's people saw something and was asked to do something, God's comfort to them was always, I will be with you. It wasn't, eh, it'll work out. It wasn't, you're really gonna be better for it. It builds character, right? No, no, no. His promise was, I will be with you. And by the way, it will build character, and it will work out, but I will be with you as you go. In fact, when you think about Jesus, on the cross, where he looks up to heaven and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here is a man, Jesus, who has followed God to the cross, obeyed God's will, followed him all the way to the cross, and at that very moment, God has, the Father turns his back on Jesus and forsakes Jesus on the cross. And the promise that we ascertain from that understanding of what's going on is that God the Father turns his back on Jesus so Jesus can bear the weight of that abandonment. He can bear the weight of being isolated from God, that he can bear the weight of following God without God's presence so that we as his followers will never have to bear the weight of following God without his presence. The one time in scripture where God does not, is not with the person who follows him is Jesus on the cross. But that is a promise to all of us that we never have to deal with following God without his presence. God stays with us. Now, the, the call that God sends us into the heart of injustice is a something that my colleagues and I at International Justice Mission, we take very seriously. We cannot simply sit by and watch as 40 million people around the world are exploited and enslaved by the powerful. And we have committed ourselves to bringing freedom in the heart of oppression and bringing freedom, and we will not stop until all are made free. But we take comfort in the promise that God stays with us because we know that this is his work, and this is the work that he has sent us to do, and that our participation is a participation in the work and will of God. So our model to bring an end to slavery in the communities that we work in is very simple. First, we rescue the slaves. We want to go and find where the slaves are. And as once we rescue them, as Pastor Tim had mentioned, we, we provide aftercare for them to make sure that they are being restored and taken care of and not being vict, uh, vulnerable to re-trafficking uh, and re-victimization. But the second part of it is it's not just enough to rescue the slaves, we have to arrest the slave owners. It's not enough to simply remove someone from the situation of slavery because then all we have done is created a void in that slave owner's factory or in that brothel. And what will happen is that slave owner will then turn around to their recruiter and they'll say, find me another boy, find me another girl. And so we don't just pursue freedom for the slaves, we actually also work with police and courts to pursue the arrest for the slave owners. And as we partner with the government on all levels, we end up ending slavery in those communities as the government begins to step up and do the work themselves. So when you think about Gideon, who spends every day for 11 years fishing for a man who is beating him and paying him next to nothing, the day that Gideon reached out to our investigator for help, well, what ends up happening is our investigators are there to do a baseline prevalence study. And so we actually have two undercover investigators and they're there under the guise of actually starting our, our, our own fishing industry and potentially enslaving other boys. And so we're trying to find the, t- the tricks of the trade. And so while one investigator is sort of interviewing the, the boatmaster and getting the sort of inside tricks of how this works, the other investigator is interviewing these young boys. And so this one investigator who reached, who was talking with Gideon and Gideon reaches out and says, please save me to a complete stranger. Well, understand that our investigators are there to open up a field office, to systematically end slavery on Lake Volta in Ghana. And so while at that moment, we would have done anything to rescue Gideon from that boat, that actually would have compromised our whole operation, the whole reason why we are there. And so our undercover investigator needed to maintain his cover and we had to sail away from Gideon. And it was actually a year and a half before we actually opened up our field office. And that interaction that, with, that our investigator had with Gideon haunted him for a year and a half because he knew that Gideon was still out there on that boat and on Lake Volta every single day for a year and a half, in 2015, we opened up our field office in Ghana and we conducted our first rescue operation. We got our in, uh, you know our boats together. We went with the police to do our rescue operation. Now, again, the 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 uh, Lake Volta being the size, the largest man-made lake in the world, we didn't know who where we were gonna who we were gonna find and and whatnot. Um, but in faith, we called the operation Operation Gideon.
2: ne gédé ma e va gidé va ma joyine halé I didn't blame him and I forgot a a Mais je disais que je de Je me suis dit que je n'ai pas Je me suis dit
0: On March 27th of 2015, Gideon was rescued and he was being restored back to health and back to society along with nine other boys that we found on the lake. Because God sends us, we saw something and we did something about it. Now, if you know anything about the story of Gideon in Judges, despite all of Gideon's apprehensions you may find, you may remember that God actually does bring victory to the Israelites through Gideon. And so the final promise for us in Judges is that when God sends, God stays, and eventually God saves through us. And so we knew that God sends us and God stays with us. We know that God saves us, his people, from oppression through his sending the body of Christ into the heart of depression. And so through the model that IJM has used, we've seen amazing changes as we have obeyed the call to go and knowing that God is staying with us and seeing how God delivers his people. So it's worked to change the lives of Gideon and those young boys, but it's also worked to change whole cities, like the city of Cebu in the Philippines. When we started to work in the Philippines, we tried to target the trafficking of young children in the sex industry, in the brothel industry in the Philippines. And we worked collaboratively with the government. And what ended up happening is that our goal of reaching a 20% reduction in the availability of minors in that industry in the Philippines after just four years actually plummeted by 79%. And so we're not just seeing this drop happen in cities, but we're seeing it change countries as well. When you take the country of Cambodia, the country of Cambodia, when we started working in 2003, there was very, very little law enforcement for the um, trafficking of young children in the brothel industry. But after 15 years of collaboration with Cambodian leaders, police, courts, social services, and other NGOs, When credible estimates in 2003 were as high as 15 to 30% of all workers in the brothel industry were young minors, after 15 years of collaboration, we saw that prevalence drop to less than one-tenth of 1%. That is what happens when God's people step into the heart of oppression to bring the freedom that God has for them. With the work that we're doing in Mumbai, in the Dominican Republic, and in other places around the world, we are changing the world. We break the bonds of slavery for thousands and thousands of people every single year, making IJM the largest anti-slavery organization in the world today because God sends us into the heart of depression, uh, of oppression. Because of that, those people, thousands of people, 40,000 victims over our history are now free. So I want to tell you that, that no matter what situation you may find yourself in, no matter where you may find yourself in your community, in your church, in your neighborhood, and you see a, a sign of oppression or injustice, I want to challenge you with the fact that God sends us into that situation, that it's not enough to just see something. You have to do something about it. He calls us to be the agent of justice. And before you can give me all the reasons why you can't right now, because I don't have the time or I don't have the resources, I don't have the support, I don't have the desire, remember that the challenge to go be sent into that heart of oppression comes with a comfort that God will be with you as you do it, as we do it. And through the body of Christ and the obedience for his call to send us into that heart of injustice, trusting the promise that He will stay with us. We believe in the ultimate promise that God will save his people through us. This is an organization that I had heard about and having been in pastoral ministry was so compelled uh, by the mission of this organization um, that I decided to quit my job and and join uh, this organization um, to do what I do now. Um, and to go to churches like Grace Chapel and to be able to spread the word as to what God is doing through people who obey the call to step into the heart of oppression. And so whether that is the the call for you today is to join an organization, to quit your job, and to sell your home, and to move overseas and, and join an organization, it may be that. Or it may be Doing, finding other organizations that you can support with the job that you keep and with you know, the home that you have and you know, to, to, to support those organizations financially or to find organizations that you can pray for or it may be to look around in your communities and find people that are being oppressed and say, I'm gonna step up, I'm gonna use my resources and I'm gonna use my voice I'm gonna use my prayers to be able to advocate for those people. So the challenge for us tonight is where is God sending us? into the heart of oppression. Trusting in the promise that God will stay with us and believing ultimately that God will save his people through us. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for this opportunity that that we've had to be able to hear from you through your scriptures. This This runt of Gideon that we find in the Bible, this person who... was probably less qualified than, than anybody here in this room, to be honest. But yet you did mighty things through him, and yet that didn't disqualify him from you calling him. So God, we, we think about this challenge. We hear this challenge that you're going to send us into the heart of, of injustice. And we God, we pray that you would remind us consistently of the promise that you would stay with us and that you will eventually save your people through us. God, whether it's through partnering with organizations that we already support or through IJM or through finding other people in other ways, God, would you help your people in this room to respond to your call to step into the heart of oppression and bring the justice that you so desire. In Jesus' name, amen.